0: listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the
1: industry. I'd like to welcome Paige Wilson, Mark LaCour from the Oil & Gas Global Network. They are co-hosts of the world's largest oil and gas podcast series, which is called Oil & Gas This Week. If you do not have that in your libraries, you should subscribe to that. It is awesome, right? It is the most efficient way to catch your highlights when you're out walking. So that's my exercise, Chris, when you're benching 450. <laughs> but, or when you're driving, honestly, it's the best way to catch the news. So please sign up. It's a really good way to educate yourself. You will not find more passionate and knowledgeable promoters in the industry than right here. It's truly great. So Format's going to be podcast for about half an hour. Yeah. So we're going to be recording. So if you're going to get up, grab a drink, be quiet. But then we go into Behind the Curtains, which is- Our which explicit is show. Explicit is allowed. God, I can't believe I just said that. And it's a- So kind you of can moder- ask anything. It's a moderated Q&A, so I will facilitate the microphone. <laughs> I've become a painfully aware it's an open bar and a room full of salespeople. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just glad we're not streaming live. Listen, great for you to be here. And thank you for letting us be part of your show. And You're the pros. Over to you.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, let's get started. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 299. Mark, we're in Denver, Colorado doing a live show at the Seal for Life sales events ahead of the AMPP conference and expo.
0: And what a great group of people, right? Yeah. Did a little keynote this morning, got a lot of good feedback. Had
2: a little alcohol. Had
0: a little alcohol, met some great people, which by the way, all of y'all reach out to Paige and I on LinkedIn. Yes, please right? do. You don't have to do it this second, but in the next No, do day it now. Two. You'll forget later. <laughs> Just reach out to us on LinkedIn. It's such a great group of people. We got so many really good, high quality questions this morning. It's amazing to have people that are kind of on the front lines, moving this industry forward, wanting to understand what's happening and were gracious enough to invite us in. So thank you, for bringing us in. We love this sort of stuff. And, and I've loved every single minute I've had with each one of y'all.
2: Yes, yes, yes. So we have our industry mixer coming up in Houston on March 30th. I will be there. Mark will be there. So if you're here in Denver and you're going to be in Houston, y'all should come.
0: Yeah. In. The money we raise there goes <laughs> to fight human sex trafficking. Yes. So it's like 20 bucks for a ticket. you literally will help to save some little boy, or little girl's life. So come join us if you can. If you do, make sure you come find us.
2: All right. Let's get into the reviews. I got one personally, which is I get these, but I'm just horrible at LinkedIn. Hi, Paige. Great to connect. I am a physical gas trader for an LDC in New England. I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now and just wanted to reach out and say thank you. I appreciate the candid conversations and market intelligence you and Mark provide. If either you or him are ever in Boston, give me a buzz.
0: Cheers. Yeah. So, Evan, we will absolutely give you a buzz next time we make it up to the Boston area. Um,
2: so how do people find out where uh, to leave a review mark
0: if you want to leave a review it's fairly simple no matter what device you're listening scroll up or left there'll be a link in the show notes we have a new piece of technology thank to our producer audrey which allows you to leave us a review no matter where you are in the world no matter what operating system you're on i even think it supports linux
2: i doubt that very <laughs> seriously anyway let's get into the news stories why gas bills are going crazy with no end in sight
0: of course, in the world, we're in an energy shortage. Uh, we actually talked about it a little bit this morning. But here in the US, we've had some craziness. A lot of it has to do with hedging. A lot of it has to do with the severity of the winter that was a little bit late here. You know, the promise of the shell boom in the early 2000s was it was supposed to supply inexpensive, reliable supply of natural gas to the US and eventually the world. And this is not actually happening. One of the things that's driving up some of these costs is actually our own local politicians, different states passing laws and restrictions and taxes, which is increasing the cost of consumers. And there's a story in this article, a young woman named Emily Hodge, who actually, her natural gas bill for December of this year was $918, which is actually more than her house note. She lives in a little place called Newcastle. I mean, that's a damn shame that people in this country that the natural gas bill is actually more than the mortgage of their house when we have so much supply of natural gas under our feet. This is literally ridiculous. This is all caused by politics. I totally get that you want to tax certain things, and if you don't like and support the oil and gas industry – that you want to put things in place to help speed up the move to renewables. But when your own citizens can't afford to pay their energy bills,
2: it's it, asinine.
0: It's totally asinine. So, you know, this is one of those things that should not be going on here. It's also going on around the world. It's actually causing a bit of a political backlash. When people have to choose between putting fuel in their car to go to work or feeding their children, yeah. they stop for a second. Right. And nobody should have to ever make that decision. No. That's the reason why gas prices are going crazy. And that volatile fluctuation in the market is not going to change until we get some sound energy policy. Right. All right.
2: So next one, oil prices crash below $70 as credit Suisse shares tumble.
0: Yeah. So the crude price has been sliding since uh, I believe last Wednesday. We're down over 4% for WTI. Brent has also fallen. And this is just an extension of some of the losses we've had earlier in the week. Now, here's an interesting thing. So uh, Credit Suzy's largest backer is the Saudi National Bank. Right. If you've seen in the news recently, there's been an acquisition that's in the works around Credit Suzy. This is, I believe, one of those longer-term ploys by other countries whose revenue depends upon the sale of hydrocarbons, to help make sure they get the best deal in the market. We've seen this sort of stuff happen from the Middle East before. If you remember the movie, what was the movie where the water caught on fire?
2: Oh, Gas.
0: Gaslands, right? Yeah. Eventually, if you trace that money far enough back, the money to produce that movie actually came from the Middle East. Once again, they're trying to protect their territory. Hmm. So this is one of those things that happens. The prices will rebound back. And then of course, you know, everybody here in the US and around the world is looking at the US's banking system, especially with the Silicon Valley bank demise and the fact they just recently got snap up as well. So I think our banking system is in a sound place, but just barely. If we have another couple of mid-sized banks fail, if we have another couple of very large bankings make some acquisitions, I think you could see some much more volatility in our banking systems. Let's keep an eye on this one.
2: All right. Biden budget proposes elimination of oil, gas tax subsidies.
0: This really aggravates the crap. I know, out that's of why
2: I put it in here. There's no <laughs>
0: subsidies, thank you, You're trying to get me to go off. There's no subsidies on the freaking oil and gas industry, right? We get tax breaks, we get the same tax breaks that other industries get, right? So we get to write off research and development costs like other industries do if we have a lot of work that goes in a well and that well is not profitable. We get to write that off for our books, but that's not a subsidy. It's a tax break. A subsidy is somebody writes you a check and hands it to you. A tax break is when you get to deduct business expenses from your taxes. This is once again misleading. I can't believe this is in rig zone. They actually talk about <laughs> subsidies, but a lot of the world thinks that the oil and gas industry gets all these subsidies and we don't. We actually get the opposite. We get taxed in ways that aren't fair we get laws and regulations pushed out there that makes it harder for us to compete. Look at what's going on with the renewable fuel credits and ethanol. So this is just wrong to even call it a subsidy. If you dig down into this article, they actually do eventually correct that. And then they ask for some feedback from the current administration on exactly what subsidies they're talking about. And it's crickets, it's silence. <laughs> so let's keep on what's happening with the Department of Energy. Our industry is strong right now. It's strong globally. It will continue to be strong for at least the next seven or eight years, all the way out to 2030. Remember that market dynamics have more of an impact on oil and gas than any politicians or rules or taxations. However, perpetuating the myth that the oil and gas industry has subsidies isn't good for our industry. So let's make sure that we educate our world's people that we don't have subsidies. We do have tax breaks, but we have the same tax breaks that other manufacturers have.
2: Right. Okay, Keystone Pipeline oil flows won't change after
0: US order to cut pressure, CEO says. So, Paige, did you put a TC Energy pipeline article in here just cuz we're at a conference of Well,
2: pipelines? yeah, I kind of catered to the <laughs>
0: there
2: They paid us. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, this is really interesting. So, basically, they're being told, TC Energy is being told to reduce their operating pressure. Which
2: I think we were talking about this earlier at the table at lunch.
0: Yeah, so we were talking about that, and it was actually eye-opening to me in the fact that a lot of our old aging infrastructure, in order to address safety concerns, instead of doing repairs and maintenance, they reduce the pressure. That bothers me. Like, we need to go back and fix this aging infrastructure. Our pipeline integrity should not be lowering pressure. Pipeline integrity should be making sure that it's sound and solid. But this is a little bit different slant. So basically there's a bunch of financial commitments that Sone Energy has about how much product they push out. So they're restarting their 622,000 barrel per day pipeline in Cushing, Oklahoma, and they had a service outages because they had a big spill, we all saw that in the news. And so what's happening is they still have a contractual commitment to deliver 594,000 barrels per day. Well, if you ask them to reduce the operating pressure especially on about 1,000 miles of the pipeline, you go reduce the output of that, which is then going to increase the possibility that Keystone will not be able to meet its financial or contractual obligations. Sounds like a setup. So if you look at what we just talked about last episode in Alaska, where our current administration is saying, look, we're going to let you build these pads for the wells, but only two instead of three, and three is what made the project viable. Right. What they were doing is trying to not be able to have people point at them saying you killed the project, and yet they still wanted to kill the project. I'm worried about this. It's the same thing. I'm worried that this has more of a political slant than an actual worry about the integrity well, of, of the pipeline. Yeah. So let's keep an eye on this. We need a lot of those really high quality crude oil from like Alberta, from Canada. And we need to be able to bring that here to the U.S. and the Oklahoma area and the Gulf Coast regions so that we can refine it so we get those refined products out to the world. This sort of stuff doesn't help. And like I said, reading the backstory, I really think this is politically motivated, not from a safety point of view. Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree. All right, on to the next one. Mexico's Pemex to lift crude processing to 1.2 million BPD
0: this year. It's actually good. So, Mexico has, I think, six refineries. They recently, I say recently, it's probably three years ago, they bought the Shell Deer Park refinery in our backyard in Houston. They're actually increasing their output, which is good. And if you don't know what's going on in the Mexican energy mix, they have abundant hydrocarbons in the ground. I mean, they're hydrocarbon rich. But a lot of the processes that they need to cover those hydrocarbons are a bit of a technology challenge. And up until recently, and I'm dating myself because now I think it was five years ago, but for a long time, Pemex, the government only allowed Pemex to own the hydrocarbons. So there was no incentive for the American and European expertise to come in to help with the technical requirements to retrieve those hydrocarbons because they really couldn't make any money. The president of Mexico had the laws changed, which now you can own a percentage, which means that we can come in and help them. Now the new thing that's hindering us bringing this technical expertise to Mexico, unfortunately, is corruption tied with violent crime. Pemex has always been a company full of corruption. And I know when people hate when I say that are from Mexico, but it's true. Pemex is the only company we've ever fired, right? For, for, <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. And it's a cultural thing, right? So the people of Mexico have to get to the point where they don't allow the corruption, where they're not okay with it, which is actually starting to happen. But the newest thing is the violent crime. So a lot of the technical expertise that's needed to recover those hydrocarbons, they don't have them yet. And until we get a handle on this violent crime, they probably won't. So in return, what Mexico is doing is it's importing hydrocarbons, which is crazy. You know, Our home state of Texas loves it because we're building pipelines and shipping natural gas across the border. But Mexico needs to up its energy output for its people. And this is one of the ways they're doing it. They're increasing their refining capacity, which is actually really good. We need to see more of this.
2: All right. Next article Strong plastics market and emphasis on fire hazard control to spur alumina trihydrate demand in the US. Guess why I put that in here?
0: I <laughs> like to test of my organic chemistry background. Yeah. <laughs> alumina trihydrate. If you don't know what alumina trihydrate is, if you don't know, understand about aluminum. So, aluminum is actually not a natural metal on Earth because of our conditions. There's a compound called bauxite. And basically, if you heat it really hot, and you electrolysis, you actually manufacture aluminum. And what comes out of that electrolysis is this aluminum trihydrate, which actually is a big market because it's used for other things. It's used in cosmetics. It's a great flame retardant tool, especially for things like nylon and plastics. It's also used in things like antacids. This is one of those products that come out of the petrochemical side of the market that is used for a lot of different things. And since the plastic markets is exploding worldwide, and we talked about that earlier today at the actual keynote, that as the world moves from this rural agrarian lifestyle into modern cities, by 2050, 75% of the world will live in modern cities. They need modern things like carpet and duct tape which comes from petrochemicals. So the petrochemical market is strong. This is one of the outputs that is really strong. And there's a lot of margin built into this because people don't understand the connection between petrochemicals and end product. Now, the interesting thing is that a lunar hydrate market, there's a lot of competition starting to grow, especially from China and the Middle East, which actually should drive down prices, which actually helps all of us. So we're going to keep an eye on this part of the petrochemical market, but because the plastic market's exploding or has been exploding for a long time – I shouldn't say exploding. We're yeah, that, that sounds – so Because the plastic market has grown tremendously, <laughs> the alumina trihydrate demand has actually grown as well, which is good. Yeah. On that note,
2: ExxonMobil boosts fuel supply with $2 billion Beaumont refinery expansion.
0: I love ExxonMobil to death. I hate doing business with them, but they are one of the best oil and gas. Actually, I think they're the best oil and gas engineering and project People are
2: going to think they sponsor us, too as much as you talk about them.
0: I just love what they do. This is another example of them doing what they do best. They take large CapEx <laughs> projects, they implement them, they bring them in under budget on time. Their margins are extremely healthy. Beaumont's one of the largest refineries in the U.S., I think. Which is near Houston. Yeah, which I think it's one of the largest in the world as well. I think it's in the top 10. Yeah, Is yeah, it? Yeah, in yep. the world. someone
2: just said it is.
0: <clears throat> this is going to increase their output to more than 630,000 barrels per day. And like I said, this is just Exxon doing what it does really well. Now, let me tell you what's cool about this a lot of people don't understand is Exxon spent a lot of money in a lot of years, actually, this room probably does understand this, building pipelines from the Permian to this refinery. And you go, why would you do that, Exxon? They're controlling their supply. So they now literally have a chokehold on their own supply for their own logistics, which then allows them to have the capital to make expansion projects for their refineries, which then allows them to make even higher margins, which is something their competitors can't do. You look at Chevron, is probably the only company in the world that can come close to doing this sort of stuff. Shell and BP, unfortunately, because the last couple of years they invested a lot in renewables and not in their hydrocarbon business, they're getting left behind. And you can see it in the shares. You can see it in their free cash flow. So this is one of the largest, like I said, production refineries in North America. Their safety record is phenomenal. Except every now and then they do have a little bit of a hiccup in the Beaumont refinery, but this is jobs, this is prosperities, and this expansion was involved a lot of contractors, a lot of companies. Actually, I bet a lot of people here were part of that this expansion. So you got to remember, this refinery doesn't just do fuels; it does petrochemicals, lubricants. There's ethylene crackers, and employs I think over two thousand people in the Beaumont area. So good for you, Exxon. Let's keep going.
2: All right, Global Data trunk pipelines to dominate midstream projects starts to in twenty twenty seven
0: midstream projects in oil and gas industry we talked about this a little bit today there's a huge pent up demand that demand is being held back by our current political administration and the future outlook of how our politics can affect the profitability of the pipeline part of the industry. But it looks like that the transmission pipeline segment is about to explode. 46% of the projects started this year and all the way out to 2027. Now, one of the things that Global Data talked about in this article is that they're talking about the storage infrastructure is growing basically at the same rate as the pipeline structure. I don't really think that's true. Storage has its place. Storage is a way to buffer, and especially places out in the Permian where you don't have a lot of infrastructure to bring all those hydrocarbons back to a refinery um, at the same rate that you can produce them. You have to have storage to kind of buffer that. But I really think that once our political administration changes, I think you can see the pipeline part of our industry explode in growth and pass up storage by far. So we already have one of the largest trunk transmission pipeline networks in the world. And then, like I said, there's this huge pin up demand for new pipelines around natural gas, LNG, moving carbon dioxide, produced water. So for people in the audience, I'm telling you, hold on. It's coming.
2: All right. Biden is in no rush to fill the
0: Petroleum Reserve. This is a personal pet peeve of mine. That's dude. why I picked it. <laughs> Thank you. The Strategic <laughs> Petroleum Reserve is there really for one reason, and that is if something really bad happens in the world. We can fuel our nation and fuel our war machine. That's what it's designed for. It was not designed to be used politically or to try to drive economics one way or another. Unfortunately, our current administration tapped into it basically to try to help public perception around the price of the pump. If you actually looked at what happened every time we did a release, it honestly didn't affect the gasoline and diesel prices at all. The perception did affect the market price for about a half a day, but that swing came right back to where it needed to be. Now, our strategic petroleum reserve right now is down to 370 million barrels. That sounds like a lot. It's not. We burn 20 million barrels a day. So you're looking at about, if I do the math, about 19 days. So literally, if something bad would happen in the world, we have enough hydrocarbons to run our country for 19 days. That's scary. This needs to be turned around. When they made the plans to do the releases public, they guaranteed the U.S. population they would refill the strategic petroleum reserve. One of the things they quoted was that once we got close to $70 a barrel, that we would refill it. Last time I checked, WTI was the futures were down to $66 a barrel, and they're not spending any money refilling the strategic petroleum reserve. This needs to be a top priority of our country's administration, regardless if it's Republican or Democrat. And there's a lot of Democrats that are saying the same thing I'm saying right now, is that we need to stop. We you take a few dollars to start filling this thing back up, and it's not happening. So this actually really worries me as an American.
2: Yeah, same. All right, last one. Skills ready by API.
0: So if you have high school children and you're in the Houston, Texas area, the API, which is the American Petroleum Institute, which is a political lobby group, but they also set the standards for literally everything, especially in the upstream part of the industry. Yep. If you go offshore and wash your hands with soap in the bathroom, that soap met some API standard. What API is doing to help with this talent gap and this negative public perception the world has around oil and gas is they have a free career program, and it's in its pilot right now, so it's only in the Houston, Texas area. And if you have high school kids, they can apply to this program. API will train them. They're basically giving them the basics, the basics on how to do firefighting, the basics on how to make sure you wear a PPE correctly, basic first aid, the basic outline of how a rig works. And then these kids actually get an API certification, which then means they should be hired above other kids that haven't went through this program. And the cost for this is free. Oh, well, that's so cool. what a great thing for them to be doing. Like I said, if you have kids around high school age that think they may want to work in the oil and gas industry and like to get a head start on their peers, just Google Skills Ready by API. We'll have a link in the show notes. And this is, I think, the third year they've done it. And so far, 100% of their graduates have gotten jobs in oil and gas industry, which I think is awesome.
2: Sounds like a 100% success rate.
0: Win-win for everybody, yeah. All right. Time for
2: bad segues.
0: (laughs) Now, since i got a bunch of salespeople in here, we got to pay the bills, right? So if you'd like to advertise with us, it's really simple. Go to OGGN.com, hit pricing. We're very transparent. There's a million different ways you can work with us. We have offerings for small companies all the way up to Fortune 10 companies. Love to work with you. If you need to get your message out to the oil and gas industry, let us know. And then we have our Energy Continuity Conference happening in September. There's still exhibition spots open for that. So if you touch business continuity, any type of uptimes, let us know. This should be a really cool conference. It's also our first conference we've ever done. Then we talked about earlier, we have our mixer coming up. By the time you hear this, I think you'll have, what, a few days left? um, Like three days. Yeah. So the link will be in the show notes. Wig count page, where are we?
2: United States, we're at 754, up eight. Canada's down 16 at 207. Internationally, we're at nine fifteen up fourteen.
0: Good numbers. Yep. You know what else is good numbers? Mm. All these people in this room—they're going to jump and sign up for our LinkedIn page.
2: Yeah, guys. Yeah,
0: we're over fifty thousand <laughs> for our LinkedIn page. It's the best way to learn about what OGGN is doing. So, besides- yeah, because this
2: isn't the, our only podcast.
0: We got a bunch, so. oh, and we got a bunch more coming. Yeah. So, if you want to pay attention and see what OGGN is doing here. And around the world, just go sign up and join our LinkedIn page. While you're out there, if you want to have a question for First Friday Q&A. Which is next week. Which is next week. Either it can go to allingassthisweek.com or OGGN.com. Both have places for you to ask a question. Please remember the goal is not to stump Page and I. The goal is to help educate our audiences. Then if you're interested in my monthly oil and gas events email newsletter, that link's also in the show notes. And if you'd like us to come do something like, hey, a live podcast is your company event like we're doing right now, reach out to me. Hint,
2: nudge, nudge, (laughs) cough, cough.
0: Uh, It's a lot of fun. People love this sort of stuff. And we get to meet a lot of really great people as well. So we love doing this. Reach out to me. I'd love to share the details. What? Ready to get out of here?
2: Yeah, I'm ready for steak, man.
0: (laughs) we got a little bit to go. But remember, folks, do great work, pay it forwards, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.